This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Purple Radio On Demand. My name is Luke Power. The time is just past 5pm and today we have something very exciting coming up because we have an interview with Billy Lockett, singer, musician, music producer and proud cat owner and I'm sure many other things that we'll discover today. In June, Billy released his debut album Together at Home, which performed phenomenally well as an instrumental album. It actually reached number eight in the UK official download charts, which is very impressive. So, Billy, first of all, how does it feel that all that hard work paid off? <laughs> uh, a relief, really. Um, yeah, it feels great. It's nice to not have to worry all the time now. You know, normally, I mean, most musicians will probably tell you that you spend your life kind of constantly waking up going, oh my God, what if it doesn't work? <laughs> and, uh, and now I've had the last few weeks of not doing that. So it'll probably come back in a few months, but I've got a nice little relaxing period of, of time off from my own brain. <laughs> yeah. Does it take over your life when you're in the process? Is it really long days? Do you think about it when you're asleep? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, you're constantly you're constantly wor worrying and thinking and trying to make yourself better. And I mean, I had a tendency to compare myself with other people for a long time and always sort of look, get sort of sidetracked with Instagram and Facebook and numbers and things like that. And, uh, and about a year ago, I kind of told myself to not worry about that anymore and just focus on the music and, and just make sure that I'm just, you know, keep, keep working on, on what I'm doing myself um, and everything else is kind of just extras. It's nice to kind of like see what's around you, but I think now it's, it means it doesn't affect my work too much because I'm all I really care about is making a good song. Um, and that's a lot easier for me than trying to uh, beat everybody else numbers wise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't really be a competition. Yeah, well, <clears throat> as you know, you are an unsigned artist. And so I'm thinking, is that, something that allows you greater freedom. I know you've mentioned you've been released before in your career, but how, what is the difference between working as a signed artist and unsigned? Oh, like completely different. I mean, well, there's some, there's some upsides and there's some downsides. Obviously with a label, they're paying for everything. Um, so, so that's kind of good that you're not paying for it, but at the same time, that means that they, own it all and they control it so you don't really have any any kind of power over what well you know if the label likes it and you don't it's going to get released and if you love it and the label doesn't like it it's not going to get released um and it's pretty much as black and white as that i mean they they do my label did tell me that it was a kind of a joint decision but it, it never really was um but on, obviously on the upside they they do have a lot of connections and they can open a lot of doors. But I think nowadays we live in a world where, you know, labels are kind of the middlemen a lot of the time. And unless the deal is going to be really fair, it doesn't, for me personally, I don't, I don't really see much of a point in a label and unless it was, unless it was really going to change my life in some way, or, or I really like, I really, got on well with the label and reconnected in some way, but <clears throat> I'm kind of happy doing it on my own. It means I can do whatever I like. And that's like the best thing about music is just being able to experiment with things. 
yeah, creative license is, is a wonderful thing, as you say. And you actually took the choice to be really unique because you produced an album where it was just you and the piano, an instrumental album, or as you called it, a classical album. So I was wondering, what was the draw of classical music for you, and what did you think it could express? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I've always done classical music when I, was with, um, when I was making sort of music with my dad when I was a kid. So I always used to love just making albums and selling them to like my friends and family, really. It, was, it never got any bigger than that. Um, and then obviously I was in lockdown and I was in my dad's old house and I just, I don't know, it just felt like the right thing to do. I, it was really interesting because I, I kept thinking to myself, right, I'm going to release my first album of songs and then afterwards I'm going to release a classical album of that album. So a classical version of it. But then I just looked at my spot, my Spotify and I said to my manager, I was like, you know, I've probably got about 15, 16 songs on Spotify already. So, you know, I've basically got an album of songs already. So why don't I try and make a classical album of, of what's already out? And, and in a way that sort of accidentally became my first ever album. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was quite, you know, it worked out better than anyone really imagined, to be honest. Like, no one expected it to to do so well in the charts that was a that was a complete fluke really but it was it was great at the same time <laughs> you say a fluke i think all the listeners would be very complimentary and say it's a result of so much hard work and it's interesting to follow your story on instagram because you're so excitable about it you know whereas some people can be very detached very i'm thinking about the next song you know it's quite nice to see the genuine raw excitement and you hit 50 yeah. million spotify streams in june which is yeah. absolutely mental. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? It's weird because it, the, all those numbers and things, it's so, this, that's so big now. When, when you say 50 million, it's like, wow, that's crazy. But I guess because I'm living in it, I'm always thinking, oh, well, I, I need to get more and I need to be looking. You know, you're always looking at that person that's getting 100 million or, or 200 million or something like that. But I think recently I've learned to kind of just sort of relax a bit and and kind of just enjoy that you know 50 million is a lot and I think it doesn't really matter as long as as long as the people that I'm I'm connecting with it is really helping them and it is changing their lives in some way and and I'm getting a real close supportive fan fan base I think that's the key is just getting being able to find fans that will stay with you even when you write really bad music when when you're like 50 years old (laughs) (laughs) that's the key getting those people to sort of forgive you when it starts going wrong. (laughs) Yeah, and another fascinating thing, you're self-taught, is that right? A self-taught pianist. I mean... Yeah. I guess that probably makes everything twice as difficult in the earlier years. So how on earth did you go about trying to become an amazing pianist all on your own? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think I had one lesson once, but I, I don't think we got on with it at all. I remember saying to my dad, I never want to do that again. But um, I don't know, it was kind of like self-taught sounds really flashy, but to me it's kind of, it seems like more common sense really. You, you know, you play something 
and it doesn't sound good. So you move your fingers a little bit until it does. And it's kind of as simple as that. In my head, it was kind of like, well, obviously I'm not going to play that note because that doesn't work. So I'll just play this note. And then I guess you just start to remember which ones do and don't work over a period of time. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. after 10 years of doing it, I've run out of mistakes. So now I don't make any. <laughs> run out of mistakes to learn from, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you ever reach a moment where you realised, okay, now I've hit enough good notes that there could actually be a future in this? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was around the time when I realized I wasn't good at anything else. And I was thinking, right, I, if I'm not careful, I'm gonna ruin my life here. So I need to work out what I'm gonna do. And music came really naturally to me. And to be honest, in the early days, I never really enjoyed music that much. It was something I, when I was like eight or nine, I kind of just, it was something I could do. And everyone would go, wow, that's great. And I, but I didn't really think much of it. It was only when I started singing and I started, you know, writing songs. That's when I started to really get into music and be like, oh, okay, wow, I'm really, I'm really enjoying saying something here, which is interesting, really, because the album has no lyrics or singing on it. But, but, but really, what I love about what I do is the is the feeling that you know you can say a lyric and it will hit someone in the heart, and it'll be like, oh God, that's good, or or it'll, or you'll say a line and it'll make. And it'll have like three different meanings in it. And it'll be interesting watching someone kind of work those out while they're listening. Oh, that's really clever because of that. And that actually means that. And that's a double meaning for that. Yeah. So, so that was when my love for music started. It was when, when I started creating actual like pop songs. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely noticeable that you have emotionally charged music. And you're yeah. not afraid to talk about harsh experiences and things that hurt. Is that something that you channel just naturally or do you focus and say, I really want to create a message here? Yeah, I think normally I, you kind of, with a song, you kind of almost go in with the flow a little bit. Like you come out with an idea and then, and then you'll be like, oh, okay, that works. Maybe that has, maybe that we could go in this direction with it. Um, it's kind of rare that I'll sort of start a song and go, right, I want it to be exactly about this and this is the meaning and this is the hidden message. Um, a lot of the time, it, you know, when, when you finish a song, you kind of look back at it and almost every time I've ever looked back at a song, I've always gone, how the hell did I get to this point? You don't really know. You just kind of, you just got to kind of wander through it and just do whatever you think feels right. And at the end, you sort of look back and go, oh, actually, it all works. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like loads of happy accidents. I think, I think that's kind of how I write. There's never any sort of main goal apart from make sure it sounds nice <laughs> and it feels good. Yeah. <coughs> Where does the magic happen? Do you have a favorite room that you go in to just be creative? Yeah. It, well, that's interesting, isn't it? I, I think a lot of the time it will start on, on my piano um in well the thing is i've got two different piano rooms with two with one upright and i've got a grand in another room and it's really interesting because the type of song that i write on the upright is always completely different from the type of songs that i write on the grand so they just have a different but strangely they have a different personality i know that sounds crazy because they're both pianos but maybe just the, the fact that the, t the tone is different completely changes the type of song that i write um, 
But then the, the interesting thing is I then go down to the cellar and play it on a completely different piano, no matter what I've written. So it kind of <laughs> defeats the whole object of which piano I've written it on. <laughs> if, if you didn't have a piano and you didn't have a voice, then what would you do? God, I, I honestly think I probably wouldn't do it because I'm the only way that I actually create any songs is from being inspired by a piano riff that I've come out with. I'm not that kind of uh, artist that sits on a bus, you know, and, and writes a song in his head mm. from, mm. from some incredible, you know, magic that's just popped into his brain. That's not really me. For me, it's all about vibe and, and I need to be able to have some chords. I mean, if I didn't have that, I'd just, I would just use, you know, I can just about play guitar and I'd get through it. But for me, it has, I have to have some chords to then vibe off. And as soon as, as soon as there's even two chords or even one chord, really, then my brain shoots into all these different five or six ideas, probably from songs that I've heard years through my life. And, but I mean, it, it just sets off all these different ideas and, and that's what excites me because it's kind of like a, a combination on a safe, do you know what I mean? And you, you're just slightly tweaking each number until it works and then you move to the next one and tweak that until it sounds right. And yeah, and then at the end, you've got this beautiful little maze trail into a song, you know? That's a, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, do you have a favourite song? I know it's like trying to pick your favourite kid maybe, but is it one that stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think probably my favourite song is... Um, Hard Up To Follow is probably my favourite and it's also probably my most successful as well. Um, just because of the story of it and how the label hated it and, you know, they didn't want to release it. Uh, I sort of stuck to my guns. I love how, like, it's heartbreaking but also angry. Um, yeah, that, that, that's probably my favourite. And it's so simple as well. And I, it's one of the first ones I produced. So, it, yeah, it just feels really, yeah, that's really close to me. I give you more than you'll ever know And one day you'll be missing me More than you'll ever know I just hope it's good to you Cause I'm a heartache to follow And when you wake up tomorrow You'll see I give you more than you ever gave To me I agree, Hard Act to Follow is a really great song, really powerful. And in terms of other artists, musically, is there anybody that you look up to? Yeah, um, so who would I look up to? At the, well, at the moment, currently, um, I've always been completely obsessed with Bon Iver and, um, and Iron Audi. It's like really unpretentious with his classical music. It sounds... It's just not not about being clever or skillful or too skillful. It's it's just about it's all about the notes and 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 the feeling of it. And that's that's basically how I've tried to work all my pop songs around it. And I, I just like the whole vibe of him just letting the music talk a lot of the time and not and not trying to be too flashy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's that flashiness that I don't. Well, it's not that I don't agree with it. Everyone has their own thing. But for me personally, I really like the idea of being really honest and real and just letting the music say something and not, not be, you know, look at me. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of flashy, me and my family actually discovered you at an ELO concert last year in Liverpool, which 
was very flashy. ELO, of course, has been around for about a million years, the Electronic Lights Orchestra. And that concert was very flashy. I mean, the lights were absolutely glaring and we came away and nearly blinded by the end of it. I was just wondering, what was it like to tour and with those artists that were so renowned? How does that impact you and what are the tours like? Yeah, they've been... Um, well, that one was crazy, really, because it was... Um, you know, we went from doing like 300 cap venues to to 50,000 cap venues, like within a week so it was a bit of a jump really um and it was you know it was pretty mad because it was the first time that we'd ever we'd ever experienced you know having a having roadies and having you know lorries taking our kit everywhere and and you know a chef backstage cooking it whatever we wanted and yeah it's just just crazy like each individual i remember there was one gig where each individual band member had his own dressing room it's like wow what the hell is happening now and i'm so used to not even having a dressing room for anybody do you know what i mean i'm so used to, kind of to sitting on a washing machine you know in a cupboard basically trying to get ready so so it was a bit of a crazy whirlwind but you know it it changed my life and i think it gave me a career and and put me into a position of of being able to do anything I wanted without a label. I think that was a real help, you know, and being able to put tours on and know that they will sell and, and my fans will go. Um, just having fans, I think that took it to the next level because, you know, if you're playing to 50,000 people every night, you, you know, word just starts to get round that that you are now a, a real artist, not not sort of like an up and coming thing on on the bottom of the list on all these festival it was like oh now we're actually a thing you know is it nerve-wracking playing in front of 50,000 people uh yes it was uh the first few shows they were nerve-wracking yeah i mean sweden was the first one and that was terrifying i mean even i remember even doing a sound check was terrifying and no one had even got into the building yet just doing that and looking at all the seats was just really scary and it really freaked me out um but then interestingly i got used to it very quickly after after two or three shows it was pretty much like clockwork really and and because you're on in ears and it sounds amazing and you can't really see anyone because of all the lights, it's kind of quite easy, really. It got it became a really easy gig. If anything, going back to doing the three, four hundred cap venues in in sort of clubs, that was more daunting because it was kind of like, oh my god, it sounds nowhere near as good, and there's so many things that can go wrong, and I can see everyone now, and everyone's sort of like very much there again. Whereas you know. O2, O2, um, O2 Arena, you, you can't see anyone. Do you know what I mean? There's like a, it's just a sea of people and nothing, they don't become people anymore. They're just, it's almost just one big beast that you just have to keep feeding. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you made a good impression. I think uh, definitely the one we went to, everyone enjoyed it. But what about, it's a strange question, what about your cat? Does your cat enjoy your music? No, he does. He does. Well, he doesn't not enjoy it. Um, every time, I, well, every time I'm working downstairs on something, he'll always 
come and sit down and, and you can hear him listening because his ears are twitching a lot of the time. I mean, I'm looking at him right now, actually, and his ears are twitching now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say he likes it. I mean, there's no way of knowing, but he doesn't seem to run away when, when I'm playing music. <laughs> Although my other cat, Luna, hates it, to be fair. My other one, she's really not interested, she, but she doesn't really like anything or anyone. So she just hides in corners. That's what she likes. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you can't please everybody. Well, at, yeah, at least you, you managed to, to please one cat. That is awesome. Um, do you, yeah. do you like, sing with your family? Are they super into it? Do you test out your songs on them first? Yeah, I do, and my housemates, yeah. I do tend to test things out on, on people, but I'm starting to realise that, you know, I, I've always tried to make songs that everybody's going to love, and, and now I'm starting to just accept the fact that that is just impossible. Um, and now I'm trying to kind of focus on what I want, and then, and then just sort of, and then everything else is a bonus. But I do, I do, there are a few people that I, I really do, respect their opinion like my girlfriend i really expect i really sort of like i always want to know what she thinks of it you know that's always quite quite a, a key thing so she doesn't like like it i'm kind of like oh god is it not she's got quite a good sort of radar of whether something's gonna gonna work or not so you know and my mum as well although my mum kind of is more in the in the world of she'll like anything because it's done by me. So even if I gave her something rubbish, she'd probably like it. So I have to be a bit more careful with her. And she also, she doesn't really know what what cool is. Not that I'm trying to be cool, but it's important to me that I want to keep some credibility in my music. And my mum has no idea about what that is. <laughs> Don't trust Billy Lockett's mum if you're making music, people. Don't do it. <laughs> no, it's good to have that support system though, isn't it? And to have that encouragement because I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people who maybe have a talent but don't have the people around them to help them progress and to make it happen and I know yeah. that your dad was an artist um, mm -hmm. is, is, is creativity something that runs in the family and you know inspires you yeah totally I mean my dad painted hundreds and hundreds of paintings and and he was incredible as well um, and so I've always kind of wanted to do, I've always wanted to do something in the arts and, and music I've always loved. And, it, and that was the thing that came naturally to me. I didn't, I, I mean, I tried drawing and painting, but I was just absolutely awful at it. So I hadn't got a clue. So this is just, um, so it's nice to have been brought up in a world where, where my dad kind of made it normal to not have a normal job, you know, and he was, he was kind of like the first person in my life that was like, you know, you don't have to go and get probably quite bad uh, lessons in life, but you don't have to go to school and you don't have to get qualifications. You can, you know, make money and live a good life doing something creative, you know, <laughs> which can so easily be the worst advice ever to somebody. But luckily for me, it worked out. <laughs> what, what was school like for young Billy? Terrible, really. Um, I really didn't fit in. Uh, very much an outsider but in a way I kind of liked that because you know I was an only child um, and I didn't really have any friends and I went to a, a grammar school for boys as well so it was pretty hard if I'm honest it was kind of a dog-eat-dog -dog world um, at NSB and it, 
and it was um it was a very high achieving school as well and i wasn't very high achieving in terms of like you know anything uh, academic so it, it wasn't really the school for me but you know i did it and i got out as soon as i could and uh and it's all over now <laughs> <laughs> you escaped well moving on i was reading a metro article that said you used to be a barbie doll salesman <laughs> toys are us what's the secret yeah. to selling a barbie doll <laughs> To be honest, I had no idea about any of it. That's probably why they sacked me, because I was so bad at it. Um, but yeah, I sold Barbies at Toys R Us for about three months during the Christmas period. Um, and it was pretty soul-destroying, actually, because you know, you'd, you'd, my main job was to tidy the aisle. So you had to make sure the aisle was really nice and tidy, and all, this, all the Cindy's and Barbies and, and Polly Polly, everything, they were all neatly up to the end of the, of the aisle, up to the shelf. Um, and then obviously you'd organize them all and then someone, some little girl would come along and just wreck everything you've done, pull every single toy out, have a look at all of them and end up probably not buying any. And so that would be another two hours wasted. So you'd have to go back in there. So it was, yeah, it's actually one of the worst. I thought it was going to be really fun and amazing, but it was one of the worst three months of my life just sorting that out. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> Toys R Us, you think it would be fun, but it really isn't. You realize it is just a job. <laughs> All the secrets behind Toys R Us are coming out right here. Yeah, what what would you do if you couldn't be a singer and you couldn't be a Barbie doll salesman? <laughs> Uh, what would I do? Um, what would I do? I'd probably, I know this sounds really bad, but I'd probably um, be an estate agent because all of the money that I've made for music, I'm, I'm putting into houses. I, I do, I, and there's something about how the housing world that I love. Um, and I, and I just think I'd be quite good at that. I'm quite good at selling things because I've, you know, mus musicians are basically salesmen. Um, and I love houses and I love the layouts and I love, you know, that whole world of it. So, so maybe something like that. Well, everybody, watch out for a Billy Lockett property coming to the market near you. And I think that just about brings us to the end of this interview. Billy Lockett, thank you so much for joining us here on Purple Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Cheers for having me. And to you, the listener, if you want to hear more of Billy, well, go and check him out on Spotify. What are you doing? There are plenty of songs to choose from, both on the album and ones that he's done before. And if you want to listen to more of me, then you're just a little bit odd. Um, thank you very much for listening to Purple Radio. I've been Luke Power. Have a very nice day. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.